listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. It is, uh, man, it is good to see everyone this morning. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm the university pastor here. And uh, man, if this is your first time, we just want to Welcome you to Southcrest. Welcome to the venue. Our 9:30 service is uh, really good to see everyone. As you can tell, it's getting a little more full. Okay, um, if you've enjoyed the luxuries of, you know, getting here 10 minutes late and finding a seat, um, that's probably going to come to an end pretty soon. Okay, um, and so I want to. I just want to mention really, really fast um, because uh, because our 9:30 service is probably about to get really, really full. College students are coming back. Families are, are done with vacations. Um, hey, if you have the ability, um, we would love for you to, to possibly serve during the 930 hour in one of our ministry areas um, and then come to the 11 o'clock service, pump some energy into that service. Um, that's a, a great service to come to. But again, if you have the ability, um, we would love for you to, to do that. And speaking of our college students, man, I, I, uh, I'm so excited. College students are coming back into town. Um, actually had a chance to, to meet and talk with a few this morning. Um, and I want to let you know, um, in the back after the service today, we have these, these orange cars. These are our, our welcome week cards. And so if you're wondering like, hey, what are like what's all going on during Welcome Week? What, what can we get involved with? Um, so our, our returning students, brand new students, um, come back to the welcome area afterwards, grab a card. It all starts tomorrow. Um, tomorrow night, dessert food truck in Urbanoski Park, 7 p.m. Um, we're gonna have a lot of fun hanging out. Um, and our goal with this is really just to help you get connected as fast as possible. Um, I know that, that moving to a new place um, can be a little bit intimidating, especially if you don't know people. And so we want you to uh, get connected, be a part of that, and, and really be a part of what we're doing here at Southcrest. We, 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 we know there are a lot of great churches here in Lubbock, um, but we really, uh, we really love what we're doing here. So um, just want you guys to, to be a part of that with us. But hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 119. Okay, we are, are getting really, really close to coming to the end of our, our summer series, um, Psalms for the Summer. And what we've been doing in this series is really just looking at um, different Psalms that speak to different seasons of life. Um, and we've talked about a lot of different seasons of life this morning in Psalm 119. We're calling this one a Psalm for the Reluctant. And, and maybe even a, a better title for that would be a psalm for the hesitant, okay? And, and here's why I say that, because I know that for a lot of us, this right here can be really, really intimidating. This can be really intimidating for us, and there's, there's moments in our lives where we find ourselves hesitant, reluctant to open it up. Because we're like, man, I, I, like, I don't really understand it that well. Like, it's, it's a little intimidating to me. And so we find ourselves hesitant and reluctant to, to open it up. And so my goal this morning, our goal this morning from, from Psalm 119 is really just to show you, show myself, man, God's word is powerful. And even if you find yourself intimidated, maybe even a little bit anxious, it does some amazing things when you begin to open it up and just read it. Um, and so that's our, our goal this morning. Now, I read a book called A Year Living Biblically by this man named A.J. Jacob. 
A.J. Jacob, he's, he's not a Christian. He's not a believer in Jesus. He doesn't follow Christ. In fact, he would call himself a Jewish agnostic, okay? In fact, in the book, there's a, a, he, he has like a funny description of himself. He says, I'm officially Jewish, okay? But in the same sense that like Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant, okay? So, so you can kind of gather from that like, like how, he, how he views himself. But in this book, what he did is he said he set out to go through the entire Bible and, and go, go from cover to cover and write down every single directive or command that he came across in the Bible and live it out for an entire year. And so, for, for instance, like, like he, he decided, okay, I'm not going to wear mixed fibers, okay, like, like any clothing that has mixed fibers, um, in accordance with Levitical law, he grew out this, this massive beard. Um, he, would, uh, he would refuse to shake hands with women that he felt were like ceremonially unclean. <laughs> um, and, and one that I felt I, I kind of laughed at a little bit is uh, he would, would gather tiny pebbles and like sling these pebbles at people that he felt were adulterers, okay, <laughs> um, in order to stone them. Uh, and so he, he said at the end of his year, okay, he said it almost destroyed his marriage. <laughs> um, so you can gather from that. But the, the reason I share that, the reason I, I feel like that, that is amusing to me, um, maybe even a little sad, uh, is because a, a couple of reasons. I think for a lot of us, this can be kind, not in, the, not in, in, in that way, but this can be a little bit how we approach the Bible at times. Like, man, there's all of these rules that I have to follow, all of these things that I have to make sure that I'm doing. Like, I've got to do this, this, and this. Um, and so the, we approach it that way. And then for some of us, I would also say, like, this is also what keeps us from, from opening up the Bible. Hey, there's all of these rules, all of these things that it says I have to do, and I don't understand it, so I'm just not going to worry about it. I, I'm not going to worry about it. In fact, like, like you, you even may be sitting there, and, and I'm assuming that a lot of us are, but you may be sitting there going, hey, I believe the Bible, but almost like in the sense of like, it's like the terms and condition pages when like new software gets installed in your Mac or iPhone, like it's just like page after page after page after page, and you're like, where do I just hit the accept all button? Like that's, that's, that's what I'm, I'm looking for. Like I believe it. And anyways, like someone's going to tell me about it if I need to know it, right? Like the pastor will. So why do I need to open it up? Maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe, maybe for some of you, like you're, you're in a reading plan right now and you're like, man, this is, it started off great. Like I'm learning a lot of, of really like interesting things, things that I've never come across before. And it's, it's just, it's, it's really, really amazing. And then you get to something like the genealogies and you read it and you're like, Abima Shazam begets Melchizel. Like what in the world is going on? And then you fizzle out, like you're, you're done. We've all been there. Like, like we get that. Like we know, we know that, that it gets frustrating for us at times. Well, this morning, I think what we're going to see and what I want to really challenge us with and, and really show you is that Psalm 119 is a love poem, okay? It's a love poem. And so there's, it's, it's the longest chapter in all of the Bible, 176 verses. So 
to get through them all, we, we have to start. Okay, so go to verse one. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that to you guys. Okay, I did that. I've read 40 verses and I felt like people were frustrated. Okay, so I'm not going to do 176 verses today. All right, I'm going to pick some out that are going to be good. Okay, I promise. But, but here's the thing. It's a, I, want, I want you to see this. It's, it's a love poem, okay? And it's, it, what's interesting to me is the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest love poem in the Bible, and it's not about marriage. It's not about kids. It's not about creation. It's about itself. It's about the Bible. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, he said that every preacher should memorize the whole thing, um, which I have, but I'm going to read it this morning so as not to shame anyone in here, okay? Um, I do want to read a few verses that some of you might find, uh, that, that you might find like, like familiar, okay? Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. Verse 11, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Verse 14, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much in all riches. Verse 72, instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 89, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. And then verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And we're going to come back to some of these in just a second. But this morning, I want to give us like, like four, four and a half, like brief reflections from Psalm 119. And this is going to look a little bit different. Like, like typically we go through, you know, verse by verse, 176 verses would take us a really long time. But we're going to, we're going to just see some brief reflections from this chapter. And, and here's our goal. My goal for us this morning is really for us to leave here confident, okay? I want you to leave here confident in what the Bible is, and I want you to leave here confident in how life-changing it is. That's what I want for you. If you leave here with nothing else, that's what I want you to leave here with today. So observation number one as we, as we look at Psalm 119 is this, the Bible is revelation from God, okay? The Bible is revelation from God. So throughout this psalm, and, and we saw it in some of these verses that we just read, but, but throughout this psalm, the author refers to the scriptures as testimonies of God, as statutes, as law, as precepts, as rules, as commandments, and as a word from God. But you know what never comes up in this chapter? Nowhere do you ever find it saying it's an enlightened human thought about God. Nowhere do you ever find that. Nowhere does that ever come up in this chapter that, hey, these are enlightened human thoughts about who God is. But this is actually God's revelation to us. And I think like when I, when I think about that, that's one of the most important things that, that I think we can leave here with today, that this is God's revelation to us. Because here's the reason. We live in a culture, right, that, that would say, hey, this book, 
This book is, is, is great. It's a collection of enlightened human thoughts, but every religion has their own. And so, like, don't just sit there and say, like, hey, this is the, the, the absolute truth. But as humbly and as direct as I can possibly be, the psalmist and Jesus himself did not refer to the scriptures that way. Jesus did not refer to the scriptures that way. In fact, Jesus believed that when the authors of the Bible wrote, they spoke the very word of God. In Mark chapter 12, for example, Jesus quotes a passage from from David, from King David in the Old Testament. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't say David wrote, which is interesting. Instead, he says God said. So Jesus himself believed these are the very words of God. This is God's revelation to us. And you might be thinking, okay, well, like, that's great, but, but how, how does something like, like the Bible that's written by fallible humans, how can it be the word of God? That's a great question, and, and we, don't have a, we don't have enough time to get into all the nuances of that, but here's the thing. Theologians kind of view it the same way that they view um, um, the virgin birth, right? So, so for instance, Jesus Christ, 100% human, 100% divine. His humanity was limited in the sense that he couldn't be everywhere at every time, at at all times. Um, He couldn't fly through the air. In fact, even his knowledge at times was limited. But his divinity, his divinity was, was also 100%. And what that means is that he was always and will always be without error or sin. In the same way, God's word is both 100% written by fallible humans, but at the same time, 100% the word of God, divine. It is 100% without error, free from error, and perfect. And I think it's popular today to say, well, like, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. In fact, I would even say, like, I, I, you know, like, Like, I believe in the words that are written in red, right? But everything else, I'm not too sure about. And again, as as humbly and as direct as I can possibly be, I would say that you don't really believe in Jesus then. Because Jesus himself saw himself as the explainer and fulfiller of scriptures, of the scriptures, never its corrector. He never saw himself as someone who came to correct what was written here. He only saw himself as the explainer and fulfiller of what was written here. And so if you sit there and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but not really everything else that's in there, I would say you don't really believe in Jesus then. Because Jesus wouldn't agree with you on that. In fact, Jesus said, sooner would heaven and earth pass away than one syllable of the Bible become untrue. Here's what I'm trying to drive home to us. Jesus saw this book as perfect. He saw what was written in here as as perfect. In verse 89 of Psalm 119, it says this, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Here's what the psalmist is, is trying to get at here. He's saying, this is a word that comes from the heavens above, not human wisdom that comes from below. And that is, that is important to us. And here's why I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm beating this point into the ground, because you and I, 
we hear that, and this is why it's important for us to hear that, because you have to decide, do you believe that or not? Do you believe that or, or not? Do you, do you believe that with the Bible, that, that it is actually what Jesus, the prophets, and the disciples said it was? Do you believe that or not? And if you do, then you have to accept all of it. You have to accept all of it as the word of God and not pick and set yourself up as, as essentially the, the, the judge and arbiter of what is right and what is wrong. Or will you continue to think of it as just this nice collection of human ideas about God and that's all it is? What will you believe? What will, will you choose? The Bible is revelation from God. The second observation from Psalm 119 this morning that we see is this. The Bible is life-giving law. It's, it's life-giving law. That word law or instruction, like in verse 72 that says, instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That word law or instruction means straight edge, okay? It means straight edge, like something that you would use to, to measure a piece of cloth, or, or even construct a building with. Now, my wife and I, this weekend, we, we uh, uh, had the great idea of um, laying wallpaper together. And if you, uh, if you really want to speed up the sanctification process in your life, lay wallpaper with your spouse. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great way to do that, okay? Um, she said some words that were very hurtful. I'm kidding, she didn't. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's, a great, it's a great way to do that. But here's the thing. When we were laying that wallpaper, okay, in our, in our kids' room, when we were laying the wallpaper, we had this laser that went from the ground all the way to the ceiling, and we were using that as kind of a guide for us um, to lay, lay the wallpaper. And here's the reason why we, we, we did it that way, because we didn't want to get to the end and there be like a, a sliver of like wall that was not covered by wallpaper, um, and that's the, the exact same thing that we're talking about here. If you don't have a measurement for these things, then it's like wheels off. It's, it's chaotic, right? God's law is the straight edge by which we measure all things in life. What is good, what is bad, what is wrong, what is right. And I think for a lot of us, that's a struggle. That's a struggle for us because we, we don't want someone to dictate how I'm supposed to live my life. In fact, I would rather like just trust like myself and trust like my heart to tell me like, hey, this is good or this isn't. But here's the, here's the issue with that. How do you know when your heart is right and good? How do you know that? Because if I was to like pull everyone in here and just say, hey, raise your hand, is everything in your heart always good? Whose hand would go up? No one's, right? No one's would. So how do we know when, when something in our heart is, is right or good? Tim Keller, he gives an example of this. I, I heard him give this example in one of his sermons that I listened to. Um, and this example is, is, is shocking, okay? But it's meant to be shocking. Um, and it'll make sense as I get to the end of it. But he says this. He says, imagine that there are, are two men, okay, Two men in their late 20s, one is a Viking in 800 AD, and one is a, a young professional 
And they're both walking in downtown Lubbock. Okay, he didn't say Lubbock, but I inserted that to make it a little more, like, applicable to us, okay? So this, this Viking from 800 AD and this young professional, both in their, their late 20s, and he says they're walking down the street and they have two impulses. The first impulse is to say, I'm going to go back and kill that person that, that um, shamed me or dishonored me behind me. The second impulse is to say, I want to sleep with another man. So here, here's what he's getting at. He's saying in the Viking culture, that first impulse, they would say, act on that one, but shun that second impulse. Our culture would say, hey, you need to shun that first impulse, but it's okay to act on that second one. How, and, and I'm not setting these up as moral equivalents, but what I'm doing is, is trying to get us to see how do we know which impulses are right and which ones are correct? The answer is the word of God. The answer for us is, is God's word. In fact, what I would say to us, what I would say to us is that if you read this and it never contradicts you ever, then something, something's off, Right? Like, there are times when I read this, and, and I'm reading it, and I go, man, I wish it did not say that. <laughs> I wish it didn't say that. In fact, I would say if you read it, and that never happens, it's, you're probably not reading a word from God, but you're, what, you're, what you're doing is you're projecting your thoughts, your ideas about what is right and wrong. That's what's going on. Verse 105 in Psalm 119 says this. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. God's word, it gives us wisdom about things that we, we cannot see. C.S. Lewis, he said this, he said that the law of God is like being lost in the wilderness when your feet suddenly find the path. Have you ever been lost in the woods? Like that's like a nightmare scenario for me, Okay. Like, I, I'm, I'm terrible at directions. Um, it reminds me of, like, any, anyone here ever seen Home Improvement? Okay. It reminds me of Home Improvement. Tim, like, Tim the Toolman Taylor. Okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> Tim the Toolman Taylor. He, uh, they go camping, and he leaves the food in, in his car, and so he has to go back to the car to get the food, and he always finds himself back at the campsite. Like, he never, he, he just has a terrible sense of direction. That's how I would feel, okay, if I, if I go camping. Like, just have no sense of direction whatsoever. But imagine, imagine that you're lost, and you find this path, but this path is really, really narrow, in that moment, that path wouldn't be constraining to you, would it? It would be liberating. It would be liberating. That's exactly what we're talking about here when we say God's word is life-giving law. Because for a lot of people, they look at this and they go, man, why would you read that or follow that? Like, God is such a killjoy. Like, how can you have fun when you read this? How can you enjoy life when you read this? But it's not until you realize how lost you are that you start to see, man, this is liberating. It's not constraining. It's liberating to us. It's not constraining at all. Verse 133 says this, make my steps steady through your promise 
Don't let any sin dominate me. I think whatever area of your life that isn't anchored into God's word is going to be shaky. In fact, I think about it almost like the game Jenga, right? Like whatever isn't attached to this, this right here, this table, makes it even more wobbly and shaky. And so imagine that this table is God's word and whatever in your life that isn't attached to it, man, it's, it's not going to go well for you. Whatever part of your life that isn't anchored into God's word becomes a spot that the enemy can tap on to bring the whole structure down. So the Bible is life-giving law. Third observation that we see here is this. The Bible is primarily the story of God's deeds, not ours. It's primarily the story of God's deeds, not ours. In verse 27 of, of this chapter, it says, help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. Verse 41 says, let your faithful love come to me, Lord, your salvation as you promised. You know, I think growing up, we're, we're often taught, and please don't hear, please hear what I'm not, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying this is bad, but I think oftentimes we're taught um, growing up that the Bible is, is about a bunch of heroes to emulate, right? Like we hear things like, like dare to be a Daniel, okay? Um, or, or, you know, like, hey, you need to be a man after God's own heart like Dan David was. And we, we hear these things and it's like, hey, these are heroes that, that we need to emulate. Or maybe you were taught like, hey, this is just a bunch of rules that you need to follow. Maybe that's, that's the tradition that you grew up in. My hope is that you wouldn't see the Bible as primarily one of those but rather you would see it as the story of someone who came to rescue you because you broke the rules, because you rejected the advice, because you can no longer put it all back together yourself. That's my hope, that, that you would see the Bible as that. In fact, this story is so big, it is so captivating that when you learn it, the rest of your life is changed forever. It's changed forever. The story of God's love for, for you and I is so captivating that it redefines your very life. And we learn that in here when we read it. You see, the message of the Bible is not, hey, here are some, some practical tools for you to fix your life. The message of the Bible is fix your eyes on Jesus because he will fix your life. That's the message that we, we see in here. So the Bible is primarily the story of God's deeds, not ours. And then the fourth one is this. The Bible has more value than life itself. Verse 72 says, instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Here's my question for you. What level of importance does the Bible have in your life? What, what level of importance does the Bible have in your life? Because here's, here's the thing. 
There's an enemy who walks around, the Bible tells us, like a roaring lion whose intent is to kill, steal, and destroy. Our only hope to fight him is to know the truth. That's our only hope, is to, is to know what is actually true. Just think about it. Like, like when Satan attacked Jesus, when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, how did Jesus respond? With scripture, didn't he? And you may be going, okay, well, yeah, that's Jesus. He, he's the son of God. Like he knew scripture. Actually, like he had to grow up and learn it just like us. The Bible tells us. In fact, what that tells me is that he went to Awana, okay? <laughs> like, that's what, that's what happened, okay? So for those of you that are, like, on the fence, Jesus did it. Um, here's the thing. Are you making sure that you and your family are learning the Bible? Are you making sure that you're doing that? One of, uh, one of the... the I want to give you an example. One of the, the greatest actors of our generation, Nick Cage, he, uh, he has a movie called The Rock. And I'm not, I'm not up here promoting that movie, um, not condoning it, but it should have won an Oscar. Um, the Rock, okay, Nick Cage is a biochemist. Man, can that guy do everything, okay? He's, he's a biochemist, um, and he, he has to go to Alcatraz because some people have taken over Alcatraz. And it, towards the end of the movie, there's, there's a scene with these, there's these like, like circular balls of nuclear gas. <laughs> it's so ridiculous whenever I'm thinking about it right now. But he, he takes this, this ball of nuclear gas and like shoves it into this bad guy's mouth. And it just like, it explodes, okay? And this bad guy just, like, he disintegrates, basically. Like, he, he kills him. But then Nick Cage is like, oh, no, I'm still in the presence of this, this nuclear gas. So he, like, takes off running, okay? And what's really interesting is, like, the nuclear gas, like, follows him, like, down hallways and stuff. Like, it has a mind of its own. I don't know. But he gets into a room, and he realizes this room has, like, no ventilation system whatsoever, and it's just him and the nuclear gas, okay? And so he pulls out this syringe, and this syringe, this needle's like that long. And his only hope is to take that, that needle and like inject it straight into his heart before that, that gas gets to him. Here's how this applies, okay? Um, here's how this applies. Our only hope is if God's word is deeply implanted into our hearts, okay? As ridiculous as that sounds, <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds, our only hope is if God's word is deeply, deeply implanted into our hearts. Sin is all around us. It's everywhere we look, and it's lying to us, and it will destroy us. We need God's word in our hearts, the Bible has more value than life itself. It is by the word that Jesus created everything. By the word that Jesus was raised from the dead. It is by the word that he gave sight to the blind. By the word that will free you from addiction and piece back together a broken marriage. I think the problem that we run across, though, 
is not that we don't know how valuable it is, but rather we've never brought it in line with our practice. I think that's the issue. Let me, let me prove it to you, okay? If I offered you $500,000, okay, to never touch this again, never read it, never listen to it, never, never like have it anywhere near you again, and you can have $500,000, most of us in here, okay, if not all of us, would say no. What you did is you just highlighted a half a million dollar asset in your life. So why in the world, like why in the world would we not devour it then if it's that important to us? Why would we not do that? If that shows the value that we place on God's word, then why don't we devour it? There's one more verse I want to read for us. Verse 176. And David's going to come back up and we're going to, we're going to finish this morning with, with just a, a, a song of reflection. Um, verse 176 says this. I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. Now, when I, when I read that verse, I feel like I see like a contradiction there. In fact, like if you were to, to read um, just this chapter itself, throughout this chapter, you'll see things like, like the, the psalmist going, I hate double-mindedness, but I am double-minded. I, I love your word, but, but I love other stuff more. Make my heart love it. And when, when we read that, we think, well, which is it? Like, which one are you, right? Do you or, or don't you love God's word? And here's the answer. He wants to love it, but he knows that his heart is so divided. So what he does is he resolves to love it, and he asks God to bring his heart into line with it. And you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of me. And I bet that reminds you of yourself too. Like that's me, that's you. Christian growth begins when we confess to God that, we, that what we are not, God, this is, this is where I'm not at right now. This is where I'm not at. But God, please make me into what I should be. Please bring me into line with what I know to be true in my life. And that starts by opening up God's word. Psalm 119 is a, a love poem about itself. And my encouragement to you would be this week, read it. All 176 verses of it. And as we get ready to, to move into this time of, of worship and reflection, we're going to have some, some people up front if you need prayer. This is one of those Sundays, one of those, those messages, sermons where it's like, okay, like I, I don't really know what your application is. Maybe your application is, I just need to open it again. It's taken a back seat in my life and, and, and I realize I need to open it again. Maybe that's your application today. 
Maybe it's just sitting in the truth that God's word is more valuable than life itself and I need to devour it. Because sin is all around me and if I'm going to know what is true, I've got to get into the truth. Maybe that's what it is for you. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 